that we know that there's a big rush to get the room. I'll have to talk like even faster. All right. This is a key, one of these like core principle ideas. So I really want to manage it if we can. Yeah, do whatever, whatever works for you. It's good. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're still trying to tease apart, like, what does this verse mean? Baruch Shem Kivod Ed, and that we say it after Shema. There's no it's, I'm sorry? No there are little bits of handouts, oh, yeah, in different spots. So, okay, but there isn't, yeah, there isn't one, like, with all the sources together. Okay, so, okay. So the piece I want to focus on today is mostly the word Baruch, which we talked about a few years ago in Baruch Shamar and a few years ago in Brachos, and how it fits in. Meaning if we're saying that the name of the glory of his kingdom is Baruch, is blessed. So what does it mean that it's blessed? So that depends also on realizing the fact that about the name, which we have talked about, name is not the essence. The name refers to an, a spiritual truth or essence of a thing. And when it's talking about the name of Hashem, so we're talking about how, in this case, he has told us to describe or think about his interaction with us in the world. So we see something happen in this world. What's the spiritual truth behind it? It's Hashem's interaction with us. So the shame, the name, is the name we put to that, right? It's the understanding that we can put to that because we won't understand entirely. Um, when we said Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, then we are referencing the shame of Yud and He and Vav and He, which is sort of the the higher level for at least our daily lives, right? We don't even have the name that was used, let's say, in the Beis HaMikdash, right, by the Kohen Gadol. That was the one that when the Kohen Gadol would say it, everyone would fall on their faces and bow down. Um, that Hashem is the source and creator of everything, and that that's with chesed and love. When we say, Baruch Shem Kvod Machus in a whisper, we step down a little bit. So we've now said, Hashem, this, I know something, that I, I'm declaring something, Hashem lokeinu Hashem echad, and now already Baruch Shem that is a whisper, because um, it's not fully revealed. Right, there's an idea, you see it, let's say, um, Purim time. There's the verse, Kiyad al-Kes Amalek, right, that Amalek is always fighting with Hashem, against Hashem, his hand is on the on the throne, so to speak, and it's case ka. Ka is short for yud he, love and he, right? It's yud and he by itself. The idea being that Hashem's name is not fully revealed until the time of Amalek will be destroyed, mm-hmm. because he's constantly fighting against it, right? Amalek is the gematria of safek, of doubt, right? Always trying to undermine God's power. They knew that we had just come out of Mitzrayim. They knew that Hashem had destroyed the Egyptians. And they still came and attacked us, knowing they would lose, just to make the point to everybody that you could do it, you could try, right? 
Like it's this kind of constant undermining. But what the undermining is doing by fighting the Jewish people is they're trying to bring down the name of God. The revelation that God is all-powerful is undermined by the presence of Amalek in the world. We say that in the future time when Mashiach comes, right, V'yeda, this is in the davening, on um, the Yamim Noron, V'yeda kol pa'u ki ata pe'alto. Everything that has been made will know that you're the one who activated it. V'yavin kol yitzur ki ata yitzarto. And everything that is formed will know that you fashioned it. V'yomer kol asher neshama be'apo. And everything that has a soul in its nose, meaning every, all living people, because Neshama's people, will say, Hashem Elokei Yisrael Melech. Hashem, the God of the Jewish people, is king. That is the, the fundamental definition of the Messianic era, of the Geula, is everyone knows Hashem is king. Another piece like that, this is just one of my favorites, right? The word, the word for exile is Golos. Okay? So that's Gola. Gola is exile. Right? The word for redemption is Geula. What's the difference in Gola and Geula. It's the Aleph is showing in the middle. Right? The Aleph is the Anuchios, the identity in particular of God, right? Who is one and Aleph is one. So, and Ligalot could mean to exile, but it also means to reveal. The process of Golas is a process of very slow revelation to get to the point of Geula. So, Geula is always that full revelation. So, right now, we're not in Geula. So, maybe there's a mini Geula. I do achieve a sort of freedom when I say Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad in that total, like, dedication of myself. It's like, real freedom comes to Torah and mitzvahs. When I get that moment of real Shema, which doesn't necessarily happen every day, even though it ought to, but, like, for me, it's not every single day. But when I do have a moment of a real Shema, and I'm in Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, it's like there's only Hashem. He's the only one who created everything. And therefore, like, I'm happy and honored to be able to give and to do for him, right? So in that moment, there is a personal revelation. There is a personal gula. But even so, almost immediately, I'm down to Baruch Hashem, and it's in a whisper. Okay, so the Baruch Hashem has to do then with what's actually going on here right now. The Shema Yisrael is what I'm doing. It's what I'm achieving. It's with my Seichel. It's what's real. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso is referencing a little bit more and how much of that can you actually see in the moment, and therefore it's whispered. Okay, Kavod Malchuso, the glory of his kingdom, the glory is the part of it that shines out, that we actually see. The shame, Kavod Malchuso, is that aspect, like the degree to which we can understand Hashem's interaction with us by seeing the amount of the glory of his kingdom that is revealed to us in this world. Okay. Yeah, also, the one thing I thought of, I don't know if I mentioned it here, I might have mentioned it somewhere else, but the word echad, so if you take the aleph off, you have the word chad, which means to sharpen. Nice. If you add the aleph in, as you sharpen your midot or whatever it is, so then you bring... Almost like a focus. Yeah. That's really nice. Never heard that. That's good. Yeah. Rabbeinu Bachia, it's like the closer you get to a point, like <laughs> to a single. Okay, Rabbeinu Bachia says, Kar HaKemach an Yichud V'yadua, it's known, Ki Ikar HaYichud Limos HaMashiach, that the main, the main Yichud, the main unification of God's name, that's also a little bit of a reference that 
to that idea with with Amalek, half of the name is hidden, right? Okay. By the way, what's the half that's revealed even with Amalek? There's Yud and He. So Kabbalistically, that's the spiritual side. That's revealed. The Vav and He is the mitzvos, like mitzvah. That Vav He at the end is related to the Vav He of God's name, which means that the place where there's a lack of the revelation of God in the world, it's in our deeds. <laughs> it's our deeds itself where it's missing. It's the physical side of it that's missing. In the spiritual side, there's no lack of God's glory. Right? That's perfect. Where it's, where it's weak is where humanity is weak. Okay. It is known that the main yichud of Hashem, the ikar of it, the root of it, but it, over here doesn't mean the root, it's like the main, like when you'll finally get to it completely, is in the times of the Mashiach. Shahari bizman ha-galos hashibud in the time of exile and slavery, ain't simone ha-yichud nikarim. The signs of Yichud are not recognizable. That's what he's saying. He's not saying it isn't. You just can't see it. Or you see it and you don't know it for what it is. More likely. Because this person is worshipping the sun. And this person is worshipping the moon. This one, the stars, the constellations. Another one is worshipping fire. Another one's worshipping water. Another one's worshipping movie stars. Another one's worshipping money. He didn't say that. And the and <laughs> denial of God it multiplies, because, is expanding in the world. And a denial of the truth. And opinions are changed <laughs> like clothing. Right? Everyone's got a different opinion. You believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe. You know, it's all good. It's all so the when that's the case, you can't see the truth, and when you see it, you don't know it. Because everybody's thinking something else, and everybody thinks that that's just as legitimate. Or even um, I read an article in, in where it said that before the establishment of the state of Israel, or at the very beginning, Ben Gurion, so he was okay with the Haredim not serving the army. But then once he was no longer in power, so then his true self came out. So interesting. And he, but he said something very interesting, a quote that they said, should I be the one to derail Yavna? Like, should I be the one to take down Yavna? So he had a spiritual side. Yavna Right, which he, mm -hmm. he He's was, Jewish. He was able <laughs> to contain while he was in power, but once he lost that power, so then his true side came out and he was able to rail against the religious and against the Torah world because that was really his true self, but when he had to be a, a Mashari, but he had to be that's a, so servant, interesting. a public servant, so he was able to... Well, that's to his credit, I suppose. The babies, yeah. <laughs> they don't do that so much in Israel. The babies, and and a lot of baby kissing in Israel. That's really funny. Okay, Avalimos HaMashiach, but in the times of the Mashiach, Yovdu Kamam and Hamalchios, a number of kingdoms are going to be destroyed. And belief will all turn back into one belief. Everything will come back towards a single belief. And trust, And the world will become repaired 
as the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this and not the kingdom of that, but everything is really God's kingdom. And everyone will agree that they are in the service of Hashem alone. That our job here, everyone will agree, our job here is to call out in the name of God. And to serve him with one shoulder, right? Meaning everyone putting their effort into the same work, into the same direction. And then there will be publicized, it will become advertised, the, the single, unique, and only power of our Lord. And that will be expressed in the mouths of all nations. This is what the Prophet has promised us for the future, when he said, God shall be the king, al kol ha'aretz, over the whole land, because, of course, he is the king over the whole land. So what does it mean he will be the king? It's that a melech is, is not... A, a moshel is a dictator. It's somebody who comes into power against the will of the people. A melech comes into power with the will of the people. Long live the king. Now, once he's the king, you have to do whatever he says. He can execute people just for not listening to him. So it doesn't mean you always like, right? It doesn't, he's still a complete power. It's not, we're talking about a president who's elected. Right. But a melech is always someone who was accepted initially willingly as the king. People said, we want you to be our king and our leader. Hayah Hashem lamelech, God will be the king. Al kol ha'aretz, over the whole land. Bayom hahu, on that day, yihyeh, there will be Hashem echad, God is one, ushmo echad, and his name will be one. Okay, that's characteristic of the future. So Rav Munk, in the world of prayer, says, complete unreserved submission to the one indivisible God makes man into a harmonious and integrated personality. That is a very interesting statement. Yeah, yeah. Complete unreserved submission to the one indivisible God so when I don't hold anything back and I say, I am completely submitting myself to you, Hashem, and not to some aspect like only your things that I like about your mitzvahs, and I, just 100%, whatever is your will, that's what I am tying myself to, makes man into a harmonious an integrated personality. Okay, so it's a very important statement. It is. And on a yeah, it is. So here's the thing, and and it's not really the topic of today, but it would be worth talking about. Um, when you have a mission statement, this is like a whole different set of reasons. I do this like for business people. Okay, if a mission statement it could be a personal mission statement, it could be a corporate mission statement. So the mission has to be a single un- unified mission. And I, like I, I wasn't prepared to talk about this today, so I didn't bring, like I have slides with the mission statements of like, I don't know, 10 different companies, let's say big, 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 big companies, and Nike and HP and Apple and Google and whatever, there's a whole bunch of them. And you can see the difference in the success of the company 
when you look at their mission statements. When the corporate mission statement is very short and focused, then the company tends to do better, like logarithmically so, okay? Because there is a single focus and everything can be compared against it. You will always have many, many, many roles to fill in your life, okay? It's easier for us, let's talk about just like not even professionally, but you have a professional role. You're uh, maybe a wife, a daughter, a sister, a mother, a friend, a parent in the school, right? Like, which is different from just parenting your own kids, like the fact that you now have this association with the school. There's all these roles that we play, and they're all really us. And we need to bring ourselves and all of our qualities into those. So in each role, like I, I have something that I have to offer. But sometimes those things compete with each other. You have a kid who is not feeling well and wants you to be home. And you have people in the workplace who are relying on you to get something done. Right? Or you have people in the workplace who want something to get done. And your husband says, I'd like to go out for dinner with you tonight. Or, right, there's always like these competing needs. How do you reconcile them? So it only works, you, you basically fall to pieces trying to chase and do everything. However, if you have a sense of personal mission that is above all the roles, which means that it is about your role in relation to Hashem, then all your other roles can come out from that. So, if your role with Hashem is, I, it's, I don't like to give examples, even my own, like, is a little bit not so easy for me. I've shared it occasionally, but not so much. Then all the other jobs that I do could be in service of Hashem. I could be a wife for the sake of Hashem. And I could be a mother for the sake of Hashem. And I could be, you know, a systems designer for the sake of Hashem. And I could, all the things that I do could really be for Him. When that's the case, I now have a way to mediate and, and wait competing demands where if I can't fulfill everything, how do I know what I should do? Well, the answer is going to be go up to the top of my mission. So how am I going to best serve Hashem now? And that then informs me back downstream. Okay, so that, when that is very, very focused, not all over the place. So the example that I use like professionally is the HP mission statement, which when you see it compared to any of these other companies, you're like, what were they thinking? It's like a page long. And it's our mission to our customers and to create value for our investors and something about the employees. And it's like... Yo, guys, that is not a mission statement. Because now it's all part of the mission statement. So if all three, four, five different stakeholders are in your mission statement, so you, are, you have no way of deciding how to make a decision, and that's what happened with HP. They bought companies. They, sold, they paid, I think, a billion dollars for Palm's operating system, and within a year and a half it sold it to a Chinese company. There's a certain lack of focus of understanding what's our mission and what are we trying to do. Okay, that's not because not it wasn't successful. It's because they hadn't figured out what they were doing. And you can see it in the mission statement. It doesn't know where it's going. Okay, 
When a person has, and I think that this is a big piece of this, complete unreserved submission to the one indivisible God makes man into a harmonious and integrated personality. It's, it's, my, it's the personal mission statement, even if it's universal to all Jews or all people. It's still a deeply personal and personalized mission, and it, it makes me one. So there's this amazing, in declaring that Hashem is one, I unify myself as well. Okay, so I don't remember if you were here. We had, when I read this piece from Rabbi Harlap about unity below and unity above, but basically the unity below becomes a reflection of the unity above. I, in getting tuned into the fact more and more that God is one, I myself get tuned into my inner godliness, which is a reflection of God's oneness, really. My inner Tzalem Elohim is a reflection of God's oneness. So the more in tune I become with that, the more unified I become, which is also harmonious. Like, it's nothing is working against. There's no grating pieces because it's all flowing in the same direction, which creates a much calmer, happier life to live because you're in tune with what you're, where you're going and who you are and how you're getting there. So what's internal unity? So this is just the statement that I had like put down. In unifying our focus to serve Hashem Echad, we unite ourselves internally. That becomes our focus and our mission. We're just here to serve him. Like if you can always fall back and, and I, I feel a little bit like each person has to, has to come to those words through their own path like through your own understanding of who you're created to be, and it ultimately boils down to this. And by coming through your own path, it takes on the flavor and the cast of who you are because that's a big piece of it. That's the whole piece of it is yourself. And that is expressed when we say Baruch Shem. That's the reflection. Hashem lokinu Hashem Echad, that's an expression of recognition of God's oneness. Baruch Shem Kvod Malchus is an expression of its reflection through us. That it's his, the glory, which is the this world glow or expression of God's kingdom, shame, as we experience him relating to us, is blessed. And that is through our through our reflection of it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And that will lead us to, naturally, everything about me, my heart, my soul, my, my physical, my me'od, right? My effort and my money and my, right? Everything that I've been given, all of that is dedicated to Hashem. That's a natural and comfortable result of saying Shema and feeling it reflected inside yourself in a Baruch Hashem, which is, this is why it take, took a long time to like parse through this Pasuk, is because there's so many key pieces of it that you have to get to, and yet it all unifies into one. Okay, so this is, I, um, I didn't Xerox it from here. Thank you for bringing this down. <laughs> I brought a Perkei Avos with me, and it only has the first five Prakim, which it's an interesting, uh, really the Mishnah of Avos only has five Prakim. 
But Parakshi, I don't know, I don't even know the history of when Parakshishi was attached onto it. It's a series of other statements that aren't part of the Mishnayas. Huh. Uh, I mean, they are Mishnas, but they're not, whatever, they're not part of the Masachas of Avos, so I don't know why that is. All right. So the very, 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 very last Mishnah in Shishi and Avos. Kol ba'olamo. Every single thing that God created in his world was only created for his glory. Just think what that means. Remember I said is really the reflection of his malchus in this world. Right? Everything in the world is here to do that reflecting. As it says, Kohanikra Vishmi, everything that is called in my name, meaning, you know, oh, this person is Jewish, right? I'm Jewish. That means I'm God's person, right? I'm one of the people who's like Bnei Yisrael and has Hashem's name, Yisrael in it, right? Whoever is called after my name, Velichavodi, and my glory, Verasiv, I have created him. Yitzartiv, I have formed him. Af Asisiv, I have even made him. Okay, that's, you hear over here the levels of the world, right? The Bria and the Yitzira and the Asiya going here. Like, everything comes down into this world for that purpose alone. That's what it's for. Va'omer, Hashem yimloch le'olam va'ed. As the Pasuk says, Hashem yimloch le'olam va'ed. God shall be king forever and ever. Okay. This, just this statement right here of Rav Hirsch. It is inevitable that all things should fulfill this destiny of serving, reflecting the glory of God. It's inevitable. Isn't that wonderful? For God has created each one of them, especially for this purpose, and fashioned and guided it accordingly. It's an inescapable destiny for every person and everything because God doesn't fail. Very deep philosophical concept. He doesn't <laughs> fail. He doesn't fail. So everything serves that purpose and will eventually one way or another find its way to that purpose. The nature with which every creature is endowed at the time of its birth and all the influences that affect it under God's own guidance both have the ultimate goal to guide all things and all men along the path that will lead to the glorification of God alone on earth. Now, when someone chooses to be bad, right, Paro is the, the uh, classic case. When someone chooses to do what is bad, a lot of the glory that they're going to reflect into the earth is going to have to do with showing how God is present and paying attention to deeds and punishes the bad ones too, right? I mean, there's, unfortunately, that's not where we'd really want to be. It's funny when you're talking about all this, I was thinking about just people saying brachos is it's for the glory of God. A massive glory. It's un- yeah. it, is, it is really, right, when we daven, we go through brachos, right? That's our walking into the temple, and then we walk back out. So we land back in brachos again. Because brachos is the daily, constant, ongoing expression of God's in the physical world. That's where it was created into. Okay, so this is a piece from Rav Hirsch. I have brought it here many times before. I've never done the whole thing. 
and I don't know if we'll manage it today or not, but it is to me, it's not only to me, because of this nature of brachos and the word baruch, this is the core, you know, in the mission statement of life is expressed in Baruch Shem. So here's how this goes. This is from the Haggadah, the Hirsch Haggadah, on Baruch and Kiddush. But, okay. So what he's talking about over here, he's starting with the question, there are some of Forshim who say, what does the word Baruch mean? It's a difficult word. Baruch means blessed. So there's some of Forshim who say, well, we, we can't say that Hashem is blessed because that makes it sound like someone has given him a blessing and he is perfect and whole and complete and infinite. He's not on the receiving end. Therefore, the word Baruch is translated as Mikar Kol Abrachos. He is the source of all blessing. Okay. There's others who hold that it means that he is blessed because when we praise his name, that is blessing. Okay. So that's where he's kind of jumping into the conversation. There are some who object to interpreting this term in the same way when directed by man to God, meaning as opposed to saying that a person is blessed. And when emanating from God to man, they cannot fathom how man could possibly bless God. Does God need man's blessing? What purpose could such a blessing fulfill? They interpret Baruch as blessed is, an attribute of God denoting the source of blessing in the same way that Hanun and Rahum, for example, designate God as the source of grace and mercy. But nothing much is gained by this interpretation of Baruch in its passive form. This is like such reverse. So what did you learn from that? Because if you didn't learn something from it, then the Torah wouldn't have told it for you. If you couldn't learn anything from it, then there's no point. Because innumerable times we find the expression levarech es Hashem, like nishmas kol chai tevarech es shimcha. The soul of all living beings shall bless your name. Well, how exactly there were you thinking that the word that Baruch was referring to God as the source of all blessing. That verse is really explicitly saying that there is something called bracha that comes from living people and is directed towards God and his name. Okay, so you understand why I'm bringing this here with regard to Baruch Shem. Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso. The name, his name, not his name, but the name of his of the glory of his kingdom is blessed. What does it mean? That's the question that Reverse is addressing here. What does it mean? Nishmas kol chai Hashemcha, right? Consequently, although it is correct to say that Hashem is blessed passively, like, yeah, he is the source of all blessing. That's true. He is all full of blessings, so to speak. There's no escaping the fact that man blesses Hashem actively. That's, that Pasuk just said it. And indeed, why should we even try to avoid interpreting Baruch in its simple sense? The moment God made the fulfillment of his will on earth dependent on the free will of man, in other words, something we have choice about, can do right, can do wrong, he in effect said to him, bless me, I have, is it, it's not a start, okay, the angle here, I get the glare. Bless me, I have entrusted you with the implementation of my purpose on earth. By promoting my purpose, fulfilling my commandments, carrying out my will, you bless my work and bless me. In other words, Hashem, in giving us free will, said there's something you can do for me. It's not a reflection of his weakness. He's perfect. Why did he do it? We don't know. Only we know, for example, from this Mishnah, that everything he created was for the purpose of glorifying his name. That's what it's here for. That means us too. 
We're here for the purpose of glorifying his name, and yet Hashem created us in such a way where we have choice about glorifying his name. Okay. I'm going to um, just jump a paragraph. In other words, to say, blessed be you, Baruch Ato Hashem, right, means to pledge oneself to fulfill Hashem's will. If I say, you, Hashem, are blessed, that would mean, Hashem, people are reflecting your glory in the world, are choosing to. And, and since I'm the one talking, I mean me. Hashem, I am going to reflect your glory into the world. I'm saying, I pledge to fulfill your will. That's another way of saying that. Baruch Hashem, Hashem, means that I, I saw a peach, and now I'm going to pick it up, and with my free will, I'm going to recognize God's glory in the world because of that peach. So when you gave a share on your Kadhimazon, I think it was you who said this, you said that when we utter the words Baruch, so just like when we, in the Shemona Esrei, when we bow, so it's a, a, a way of humbling ourselves before the greatness and the glory of Hashem, so that the whole idea of Baruch and of me Yeah, it doesn't contradict it. Infinite. It's, that's the, the, the sort of stupendous thing. It's a little bit like that in recognizing Hashem's yichud, a person becomes harmonious and whole inside. Meaning, when there's gaiva and it's about me, then everybody becomes smaller. I don't, I don't see God's greatness. I think I'm so amazing. And if I would be focusing on that, which I have control over, and I am, I am, I am, that's a very, very small smallness. People are extremely finite. But when I'm seeing Hashem's glory and I'm submitting myself to that, that's with humility, I actually shine out and become brighter and brighter and bigger. Because it's not about me, it's Him. And there's some of Him in me. And that can be revealed. That's a, a, a huge bigness. But that's it. You'll, I think you'll see that what he comes to say over here is in, very in line with that concept. Okay. Understood in this way, the concept of bracha is the theme underlying all of a Jew's thinking. It is the idea, I'm on the bottom of page 49. It is the idea which every Jew should convert into a reality. This is how we spend all day. You do this, you make a bracha. You do that, you make a bracha. That is what we do. That's our job. And the entire Torah exists only to teach us the way in which we can and should bless Hashem. Indeed, the word baruch, from which the noun, bracha, now I'm on page 50, bracha is derived, encompasses the entire mission of the life of a Jew. This is why this was important. <laughs> we'll have to do the rest of it a different day because I can't go late here, but... This understanding of blessing is what distinguishes Yisrael from the rest of the nations. All other human beings approach their gods begging and beseeching them. Their prayer says, bless me. We say Baruch Atah Hashem. Mm -hmm. Any Avodah Zarah is served with bless me. Beginning with the savage kneeling in front of his idol and ending with the savant attempting to impart religion to the enlightened, what they call religion is the product of a feeling of dependence their sense of utter helplessness on the one hand, their intuition of the existence of a higher being upon which all are dependent on the other, that is the faith on which their altars are built and which makes both savant and savage pray from their heart, bless me. But what leads the Jew to God is not the request, bless me, for he understands that his blessing has already been granted. 
He realizes that everything, the forces of nature, the workings of history, the highlights, the pleasures, the sorrows of his personal life are his blessing. Whatever God has given me, that is my blessing. He always considers himself blessed, both in happiness and grief. What motivates him is not to receive blessing, but to dispense blessing. Not barech, bless me, but baruch atah, be you blessed. These are the words through which the Jew relates to God. I'm not being selfish. I could ask Hashem for what I feel I need. That's a separate topic. But I'm here and I'm saying, what can I do for you? Yes, you're all powerful. I get that. But you put me here to do something. I want to do it for you. What, what do I have to offer? What was I created for? Why am I here? The Jew, in effect, is saying, you have entrusted the fulfillment of your will, the granting of your wishes, the promotion of your kingdom, the implementation of your work to man's free will. It is for this purpose that I am, that I exist. For this purpose, you have created me, a man and a Jew, or a woman and a Jew. <laughs> for this purpose, you have created me as a man, the energy to act, and you have revealed to me as a Jew what you wish to see created out, carried out by us on earth. Every event in nature and history that you are letting me experience, all that you allow me, and whatever you deny me, it's all there to remind me of my mission. Hashem Okinu Hashem Echad, and everything that he has given me and done me, my whole world that he has put me into, is one. There is one mission. To revive the strength and resolve within me to fulfill it. My God, it is my wish to discharge my duty. Be blessed in all that you give me and all that you withhold from me. And the great power, serenity, and joy with which this idea to bless Hashem infuses the heart of every Jew is beyond compare. It's impossible to describe. Those who say bless me, can they ever find fulfillment in their prayer? Standing alone in impotent isolation, they seek to defy the hostile forest of nature and a destructive society and achieve their own aims and pleasures, even if these be for the good. They expect that simply mouthing bless me will enable them to do all this, that they'll gain the courage and strength to pursue their dreams. But will this prayer on their lips ensure that they attain what is denied others, who may be beseeching God at the same time for the opposite result? Will this prayer make them succeed where thousands have failed? However, to say may God be blessed through me means that one's work is no longer his own doing. At the same time, one is not trying to gain his own ends. His status may be ever so humble. His beginnings may well be ridiculed by others, but he has been assigned to his post by God, master of heaven and earth, the king of the universe. God knows a man's strength, God's spirit animates him, and he has placed him within the particular context of his occupation so that he may perform his will there and then. I'm gonna stop there because that statement for me has been huge in my life. To realize no matter how small I think I am, and am, and how unimportant or how little compared to other people, it doesn't really matter because it's not my strength happening here it's God's he put me here he put the soul in me he gave me what he gave me and took withheld what he withheld so what exactly is the scale by which I'm measuring everything it's if Hashem's spirit is moving me if I'm the fork in his hand the spoon in his hand whose energy is this so who decides if I succeed in whatever it is I'm trying to do and what am I trying to do for me, this is, I mean, it's not for me. He said it straight out. This is the mission statement of life 
as an individual and life as a Jew. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I'll stop over here, but I, we're going to come back to this because, yeah, because I've used this book. This is from my, my non stick copy because I had to have a few. I have about four copies of this book, mostly because of this essay. Okay. Thank you.